We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. They don't have a traditional run game. They they have very few opportunities. Would they have more with Bijan? Maybe. Is that a thing that they want to do? We haven't seen them do it in the past. So it almost, to me, feels a little bit wasted, right? Like, get Bijan to <laughs> get Bijan to some place where they're going to run him a lot, right? And he wouldn't do that here. So that's the only reason against. Every other reason is for it. He's a great runner. He's a great pass protector. He's going he's gonna to contribute in the passing game outside of the running game. So it's it's a sort of automatic but it's it's almost overkill what if they decide to go the other way with it and actively try to preserve josh allen by not giving him short yardage and low red zone carries anymore but they don't think that james cook can do it like they brought in damian harris obviously to do that type of stuff but damian harris isn't gonna do the stuff that that Bijan does in the other 80 percent of the game so like it makes sense to draft Bijan from a we need to preserve Josh standpoint. What if we draft Bijan to save Josh? Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was Brett Coleman and EJ Snyder from Bootleg Football. Talking about Bijan Robinson and how at 27 for the Buffalo Bills, if he was available, he would be best player available. Now, I find that funny, Chris, because if he was there at 27, like, does anyone actually believe that's going to happen? I don't think that that's. I don't think it's. Reasonable. I don't think that's reasonable at all. <laughs> I I think that I wouldn't be surprised if it was like a Zeke situation. Well, this is and this is where trying to prognosticate running backs gets funny because we as fans and not GMs, we fall in love with players, 
there are certain players that we like and then we, you know, find other players and we say, oh no, these guys, they can't be, you know, that guy, these, ah, no, he can't be worth more than player X or player Y. And then you watch him get drafted in the top 10. Uh, Jameson Williams with a torn ACL at wide, you know, wide receiver last year got drafted in the top 12 with a torn ACL in the national title game. <laughs> like, what? You just drafted a wide receiver who you knew wasn't going to see the field for his entire rookie season. You drafted him inside the top 15. That's wild to me. And yet here we are. Like, we live in that world. And that's very much the way that it feels like his B. John Robinson pick could go. You could be, all it takes is one GM to say that I need this or I'm this away from being the best team in the NFL or at least, hey, I have a young quarterback and I, I need this. I don't know. There's a lot there that could impact this. And also there's the question, do we need that? I don't know. That's why we get together and we do this every year, Chris. We sit down with people much smarter than us to talk about positionally the things that are coming up in that year's NFL draft. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so in keeping with the theme of the month... Welcome to our 2023 NFL Draft for Dummies installment on running backs. Matt Waldman. You're about to get to know me even better. I brought you here because I want to show you something that almost no one knows about. The Barry White of podcasting and the creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. It might be cold outside, but it's about to get warm all up in my jacket. Matt Waldman, everybody, a Duke Silver in his own right, creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, and the guy responsible for Chris and I what making, not, not only in the same year, making our fantasy championships, but also me using his work to make the fantasy playoffs a league record seven consecutive years. Matt, first of all, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for, uh, I'm glad to hear that things are going well for you. That's awesome. So what? Uh, I have to ask: Are you still uh, are you still noodling? You still a jazz man? I still play. Yeah, I play. I'm learning two instruments right now, and um, you know, having a good time with it. Just finished practicing a little bit of 
about an hour ago. So that's how, cool. That's how do you fun. how do you find time for that with your busy NFL draft schedule? Um, well, for me, it's I, I just you know you make time. It's like going to school while you're at work or something like that. My wife's at school while she my wife works or is it's um, going to school while she's working a corporate gig and. Um, so, you know, for me, I just, you know, I try and find a couple hours a day. Um, usually it's late at night and that works out okay. Just cause my wife sleeps like a rock. And, um, I live in a neighborhood that apparently with five boys on one side and five girls on the other, they don't hear anything when they go to sleep at night. They're all, they have no idea that I even play an instrument and I play fairly loud. So it's kind of it's amazing to me that I'm getting away with this. I feel like I'm stealing. <laughs> I love it. So we're here tonight to talk about running backs, which is a position of your, it's kind of a specialty of yours. It's something that you have a, you not only have a love for, but you've proven over time through your work over at the RSP to have a real knack for kind of nailing down in terms of just identifying NFL type traits, skill sets. And I, I, I like that that's the direction of your work, that you focus on those things rather than trying to be a out and out prognosticator. Saying you know, this is where this guy is going to be drafted, or this is a fit. Instead, you look at if you were a, this type of offense, this player could be a fit, or this is the style of approach that this team utilizes, which is why players X, Y, and Z could make sense. And out of those three, here's what I like about each: you take a really scientific approach to all this stuff, and I've I've always had a really big appreciation for that. Thanks. So, in terms of laying out the makeup of this year's draft class, I kind of want to look back. Because last year we dealt with a class that had three guys who were pretty much throughout the draft process unanimously at the top of everybody's prognostication board. There was Brees Hall, Kenny Walker, Isaiah Spiller. Those were the three guys whose names were out of everybody's mouth first. And then the draft happened. And the Buffalo Bills' James Cook was actually the third back off the board at the end of the second round, while Spiller fell all the way to the fourth even with, and I guess like yeah, I look at how that went for him, the Chargers had plenty of opportunities to go around for running backs. I know that their depth chart got a significant amount of work over the course of the season. Still couldn't find much in the way of carries for Isaiah Spiller. Um, first of all, it, it, what do you think went wrong with Spiller in terms of his rookie acclimation to the NFL? Um, well, he got hurt. That was part of it. So, sure. you know, he had some time away. Um, second of all, I really don't look at it as went wrong because I know that it's easy for people to, to ask that question after one year and guys don't immediately contribute. We're in a That's fantasy fair. oriented society. So that kind of thing happens with football. But, you know, we got to remember that it can take a year of adjustment for pass protection, for understanding defenses as a receiver and the routes that you need to be able to run. And then on top of that, you know, there are things that were, you know, different with Spiller that weren't all that great. I mean, Spiller to me was a tier below, well, close to a tier below where I, Hall and Walker were. Walker and, and, and Hall were, had significantly higher grades for me. So Spiller's more of a guy that, you know, fit best in one type of scheme. Um, and there were, there were things where he had some decision making issues. He had some issues with his pad level and, and getting everything to, you know, getting his hips and pads aligned to maximize his power. And we talked about that last year. Yep. Um, so, you know, really right now, it's just a matter of that Austin Eckler is a Pro Bowl player. Um, ju you know, 
Joshua Kelly wasn't wasn't mincemeat. You know, there were people that kind of got off that train quickly when he seemed like a sleeper prospect, but he kind of worked his way back into the graces of the team and played well. And so when you have a guy who's who's developed after three years in the league and he's been in the league for three years versus a guy who may have a little bit of work to do entering the league, you know, that kind of thing can happen. So I think it's more of the facet of Eckler's good, Eckler's great, you know, Kelly got better, and Spiller's a rookie, and we just leave it at that, and and we'll see okay. how that develops on the line because mm-hmm. obviously Eckler's not going to get paid the way he wants to. He's complaining <laughs> about that, um, so that means they they probably recognize what they have on their depth chart, and they, or at least they're hopeful about it, and feel like we're not going to you know get our you know get ourselves over our skis too much financially when it comes to the running back position with what they have. Well, and that's a, that's something Bills fans are used to. Like with this GM, he has during his tenure here hasn't gone. I mean, I don't even think Hog Wilds. Is, he he hasn't really invested much in of anything of significance in the running back position. It's funny to hear you describe the class in terms of having like two players who were at the very top for you in terms of grade, and then there was just a lot of other guys who were a clear step below. When we look at this year's class. It seems like a lot of people seem to see it kind of the same way this season, where there's two guys kind of ahead of everyone else in the pecking order, and then it's a dice roll as to where everyone could slot in behind that. Do you think it's a fair comparison? No, actually, I don't. This year, year I think there's um, six players who could start right away. And I think while I I like B. John Robinson and I certainly have him a healthy tier or a healthy amount above the next two guys or really the next four guys, um, those next four guys would have graded out last year at a pretty nice, you know, would have graded out above Isaiah Spiller. That's for sure. They would have. So I, I look at this class and I think that they're, you know, and I don't even really, the grade is a nice way of summing things up, but I really think that there are six players that if you ask them to, to do what they do well, um, right away, that they could be, you know, fantasy starters. I think they could be top 15 backs in the right offenses. Um, so wow. while Robinson is seen as the blue chip prospect and far and away the best guy, and I think he is the best guy. Um, I think that there are really, Four players who could wind up with production similar or better than Robinson based on where each ends up going. If B. John Robinson gets the Saquon Barkley treatment and goes to a, a crappy offensive line with a team that's fairly inept at quarterback, um, early on, you know, it, I don't care how good he is. He's going to probably average 3.7 to 3.9 yards per carry. People are going to say he's not all that great or that he's inconsistent or all these things because, again, we in fantasy ignore the offensive line. Once they start building out the offensive line, just like LaDainian Tomlinson, who averaged 3.9 yards per carry when he first came to the Chargers, um, you know, you'll start to see that gel where he gets the help because running backs need, you know, they, they need holes. They need blockers who can be reliable to where they're supposed to go. And, and that's just a, you know, you're not going to find many backs who can transcend that. And the backs who could are honestly, they're all retired or dead. 
at this point, <laughs> yes. you know, yeah. and there weren't many of them. No, that's well, I think that that's why we feel so fondly about so many of those players. Right. Adrian Peterson, uh, Emmett Smith, Thurman Thomas. You go back to some of these guys who are Hall of Fame running backs. You know, a friend of I, a friend and I were having a conversation just about the way the NFL has moved. How many Hall of Fame running backs have been drafted in the last decade? Like yeah. the guy that you would point at and say, that guy is a first ballot, or maybe even just like, hey, he's a second ballot Hall of Famer. I feel like the name of the game and also opportunities, and they're just harder for those types of guys to find. Yeah. I mean, I would just say that, you know, to me, when I think of guys who could have transcended an offensive line, I think of Walter Payton and Jim Brown, and that's about it. Okay. Well, and so, the, and it's interesting you say that because one of the things that's bounce, been bouncing around in my head this whole Barry season Sanders. Is, okay, Barry Sanders. Okay, Barry Sanders was like the, the Lions were perennially bad, and that guy just continued to make yeah. everyone around him look phenomenal, unless you were on defense. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco got a lot of run last year. You know, oh, seventh round pick, and he you know, hard nosed running style, and how did all these GMs miss on him? To what you're saying right here, I don't think it's that they missed on him. I think Kansas City built a very good offensive line. And that yeah, very I mean, light boxes against a north-south runner with a hard running style and a very good line. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out he could find success. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, I mean, I had Pacheco ranked ninth. I had him ranked as a as a rotational starter. So, you know, he was a guy that I that I felt strong about, saw as a sleeper in this class. But you have to understand that really it's, you know, do they see him as a long-term starter? I don't know yet. Mm -hmm. They seem a part of the offense, Mm -hmm. I think, for sure. Um, It's just a matter of every NFL team ran the ball well last year Mm -hmm. because every NFL – really the the bigger story here isn't about Pacheco and the offensive line. The bigger story here is that for the first time in 10 years, um, EPA, what everyone likes to talk about, was down in the passing game for the to levels that we hadn't seen until a decade ago. And that's because what I've been taught, you know, what a lot of people like myself and others who watch the game talk about for years, which is eventually when teams adopt the spread and spread out defenses enough, defenses have to respond by playing cover two, which will limit how much the deep passing game works. They're going to be spreading out and using linebackers who are really safeties in disguise, the Deion Buchanans of the world, the Isaiah Simmons, all these guys who are uber athletes, but really they aren't linebackers, not on the level of what it takes to run, you know, to defend the run. So the offenses were going to look up one day and go, okay, so they're stopping the, they're stopping the deep passing game. So we're going to run, we're going to run power. We're going to run toss. We're going to run counter. We're going to match up tight ends and large slot receivers against these these shrimps that they're calling linebackers. And we're going to pound it down your throat because now we have the actual athletic advantage to run these types of plays that we didn't have the athletic advantage before when you actually had a big tackling linebacker, third linebacker in the box or a good box safety. So teams now have been, they're all running at will. So when you can do that, well, Pacheco was a good player because he had good speed. He was someone that ran hard. He was good with gap running. They ran a lot of counter. They ran some toss. They certainly ran power. And that worked out very well with their offensive line. So he was a good match. But so was Tyler Algier, player that I didn't think was all that special. And and really, 
I'm, I mentioned that he was a better, although he was a zone runner, he was a better fit in a gap game. And wide zone is a good bridge between zone and gap because wide zone, especially the way um, Kyle Shanahan runs it, because Kyle Shanahan in a West Coast offense, he's a West, you know, he and his dad have kind of the same attitude about their players in West Coast, which is you're a cog in my machine, mm-hmm. my offense, my offense, yep. not you. You're not the star. I'm the star in this offense. And I'm, I'm kind of being a little facetious about that. But quarterbacks often complain that West Coast offensive coaches can see, feel like they're run, playing a video game <laughs> and the players are just like pieces in that. You know, they're just pixels on the screen or the controller that they're manipulating. And, you know, when it comes to the run game, they did the same thing. Elijah Mitchell is a good example, too. It's just like they're, they're not going diagnose things, be, you know, be patient, see if you can set up this crease and find the cutback. No, man, they don't want the cutback. What they want is we've got a great line. We've got good tight ends. We've got good blocking receivers. We're going to open this hole. Just hit this thing hard. Don't mm. think. We don't want you to think. I'll design it. You just go out there and execute it. You just ex- execute it. And that's exactly what's happened. You know, Algiers, the same thing, you know, to me. And it's like, you know, Cordero right. Patterson, who couldn't. Cordero Patterson is known as, as kind of the nuclelouche of, if you remember, <laughs> you know, if you remember Bull Durham, yes. you know. He's the nuclelouche of like NFL players. Unbelievable physical talent. Gifted in many ways. One of the best open field runners I've ever graded at any position. But he was not one of those guys. He could be a smart guy. I'm sure he's a smart guy. But there's a different kind of type of intelligence to translate what's in the whiteboard and in the, in the coach's office and in the, in the RB room or wide receiver room. And then doing it on the field. And he just could not pick up the coverages and do the things he needed to do. And they moved him at running back and made it simple like this. Yep. And look what he did. Yeah. Well, then, so with that in mind, does this class, in your opinion, have more talent that you feel would be a best, a better fit in a gap scheme or a zone scheme? Um, I'd have to count it up to be honest with you, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of gap guys that are available in this. I would say there's a pretty good even mix, and it's easier to run gap than it is to run zone. So tell it to the Buffalo zone, Bills. You can kind <laughs> of do that. The yeah, the, and at the top of the board, I can tell you this: there's, there's, a, you know, most of the guys that I have listed, with the exception of most of the twelve guys I've listed, who I think could develop into serious contributors, if not starters, all of them can run gap really well with the exception of maybe let's say one. One needs a little bit more work at it, and that's Israel Abinaconda. And he still can get there, but he's just a better zone runner if you ask me. So Same if, with Kendra Miller, I guess, but I would say that's not too much of a difference either. So two out of twelve. Okay. And twelve is a deep class. <clears throat> You're talking about twelve yeah. guys be that way. So in terms of turning this into a Bill-centric conversation, every talking head, we open the show with the audio, but every talking head out there thinks that the Bills need, not just like, hey, they kind of need that, need in capital letters, need to find a way to draft B. John Robinson or a B. John Robinson-esque talent. I mean, Jim Kelly, the most successful Bills quarterback of all time, went on record this summer talking, uh, earlier this spring, talking about, I couldn't do it alone. Josh Allen can't do it alone. I guess when you talk about Bijan Robinson, a lot his name is on the lips of a lot of Bills fans. 
First of all, where do you see him if going just in terms of the first round? And do you think it's something that from 27, it's even reasonable to talk about the Bills trying to get there? I don't think it's reasonable to try and get there because you're, you're basically saying we're going to sacrifice the future of our organization to get this guy. Yep. Um, and that means that we're going to need the offense to carry us and we're going to be this, we're going to be the San Diego Chargers from the 1980s translated to the 2020s. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, where you're all offense and no defense because eventually you're going to lose your defense giving up the number of picks you're going to have to get to trade all the way up there. I would have to think. Or unless you can, you know, and I'm, I'm just, I think Gabriel Davis is a fine enough player, but I have criticisms of him being anything more than a, than a complimentary receiver who benefits from primary options that are better. Um, but you know, if some team, gets fooled thinking Gabriel Davis was more, I think they saw that last year that it's not, but if they could have gotten fooled that he was a wide receiver, one of the future, you could have unloaded him and somehow got it. That would have been great, but they don't have that kind of talent to give up and then still compete for the bowl. And I don't think you need it. I I mean, I like Bijan Robinson. I think that with a top back, you can, a top back is a difference maker still. I know people are all about running backs don't matter, and they get down on Zeke, Ezekiel Elliott and what happened there. But let me tell you, Ezekiel Elliott, if you had the team in your prime, if you had a defense, if you had wide receivers, if you had some of the things that the Cowboys needed to have, he he was a big part of why they were even like good enough for people to be mad that they lost. Well, exactly, okay? and and so, so that's and that's where I think a lot of Bills fans have landed. They're going, we have the team. And yet every year we go against these other teams that have more firepower than us, and we just, we can't keep pace. You know, yeah. you, you have the firefight with Kansas City two years ago. You have that game where the Kansas City, uh, the uh, Cincinnati defense just absolutely showed up and punched you in the face, and there was yeah. n- you didn't have any punch back. There was no counter punch to yeah. your offense. Yeah. So I can see where fans who are clamoring for a highly drafted running back out of this class are coming from. I guess I just I look at this philosophically. Our running back one last season was Devin Singletary, finished 30th in the NFL in carries, which kind of shows you what a low-volume rushing attack the Bills are compared to other teams. Now, some people might make the case, well, if they had a better talent, they would utilize it. But I don't know that to be true because it's kind of been this way ever since Josh Allen took his step forward in 2020. Yep. This is what the Bills' offense... I mean. Green Bay and Dallas had two running backs finish with more carries on the season than the Bills' de facto running back one. It's just not a focal point of our offense, but why would it be? Your best player is your quarterback. And so with that in mind, I'm thinking about what comes after that tier of... First of all, are you you of the mindset that Jameer Gibbs is running back two and that he is in that same sort of tier as... Robinson. Um, he's for the Bills. Let's just skip Jameer Gibbs. Yeah. You don't need to talk about him because you have James Cook. <laughs> well, that was going to be Cook. there. We go. See, that's yeah. it. You, you don't. It. You don't need to talk about him. If you're going to take him, you're just you're you're basically taking a Charlie Garner type of back um, for a team that already has that kind of back. Maybe not quite as powerful, but certainly can catch the ball certainly can do the versatile things. What you need is a guy who can run between the tackles more often 
and can give you, if you want them to be similar and that they both can catch the ball and they can pass protect, but you want one to be shaded a little more towards, you know, running the ball between the tackles and having a higher workload. There's four or five guys that you can get in this class other than Jameer Gibbs and Bijan Robinson who you'll be happy with. If you never knew Bijan Robinson existed, there are four or five guys in this class that you would be clamoring for. That's, and that's, so, and some of them won't be, some of them will still be around probably in the fourth round. See, so, and, and that's that, it. That, that, that's yeah. the thing I want people to hear is, guys, you, there doesn't need to be a land rush to get, a, even if running back, which is now questionable. Because whether a GM even wants one. I mean, just the other day, Latavius Murray was here on a free agent visit. So you're talking about a team that you drafted James Cook last year. You traded for Naheem Hines and reworked his contract to keep him around. You signed Damian Harris, and now you're flirting with the idea of adding what's probably a practice squad, break glass in case of emergency veteran running back. Those don't strike me as the actions of a GM who's going to trip all over himself trying to pick a running back highly in this class. And realistically, you hit on it. I've been thinking this whole offseason. There don't strike me as a ton of guys who would be a vast improvement over James Cook in a second year. Like you coming, I guess that's a, so coming in as a rookie trying to draft one very high versus this idea or concept of we have James Cook, you have Damian Harris, who Damian Harris isn't a world beater. He's not going to set the world on fire. He's not going to make fans forget that Thurman Thomas was ever here. Well, make them forget Devin Singletary was there. Well, and that's it. So if you can take that Devin Singletary role for under $2 million for the season, you've got James Cook, who as a receiving back, he showed that he has chops. He showed that he has a little wiggle on some counters and some inside stuff when when the play is blocked correctly and when the opportunity presents itself. And that he's got enough speed, legitimate play speed, that he can get out and when you know when he recognizes his blocks, he can pick up meaningful yardage as a true running back and not just a receiving back. I just I I, I feel like it would be a poor usage of our assets given all of our other needs and the need to set ourselves up for the future with an ever increasing quarterback cap hit that early you know day one day two running back probably not advisable does that make me crazy for feeling that way no i think it makes people crazy to think that you need a running back at all you may if you want to pick one after the fourth round i think that's totally fine because you might be able to get a diamond in the rough who's going to be able to develop because it oh there's always guys who fall who are very talented. And with 12 backs in this class, um, again, there are guys that you're going to be able to get who can offer that complimentary role and work behind Damian Harris. Damian Harris, Damian Harris to me is the guy that would be the face of the Mason Dixon line between a starter and a high end contributor. Kind of like Jeff, Jeff Wilson in, um, Miami. Very competent in all phases of the game. Um, and you really don't need anything more than that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, Devin Singletary wasn't competent in all phases of the game. I'm sorry. He's a, he was a fine back, but he's a, as a, he's a fine, he's a talented player. You're a talented player if you're in the NFL and getting the start, but he's slow. I've said this before. He's short. He's small. He's slow. Um, he's not very quick. He just had unbelievable vision. He is like, he's the guy you should admire. In the same way that I joke that Terry McLaurin is the bumblebee 
of wide <laughs> receivers because it's it's literally phys- physically or, or from a physics standpoint, it's impossible that he should catch the ball the way the technique that he uses. <laughs> well, Devin Singletary as a running back, it should be impossible for him to be a starting running back only on basically vision and the lack of athletic characteristics that he has, but he can compensate well enough with that. He's a good backup for the NFL. So Damien Harris is a significant upgrade. He's not great, no, but he's a significant upgrade. He breaks tackles. He has burst. He can make the first man miss. He changed his running style when he came to, to from Alabama to New England. Somebody in New England, uh, Dom Fears or whoever it was, probably said, look, we're running gap. We're not running zone. You need to hit these things decisively. And he looks like a different back from what I saw at Alabama. Go back and watch Alabama tape, and you see a guy who can make cuts. You can see a guy who had, like, light feet, you know, you watch him and you watch him in New England. He looks like a grinder. Well, that's you know? well, and that was always. I mean, I I'm an Alabama fan, so I watched his entire career there, and that was always the thing I thought. I go when he hits the NFL, I don't know. You're right, north south, he gets there, and that's why he's such a nice complement to the room they already have with Hines yeah. and with yeah. Cook. So. Before we let you go, obviously there's players that Chris and I both have on the top of our minds. Just want to pick your brain about it a little bit. Sure. The, you already mentioned the name of the first one that's right here. Israel Abenaconda. He's a guy that a lot of Bills fans have been talking about him lately because the Bills scouts have it's confirmed, it's not rumored, like they've met with they've they've been at a, a couple pit games this year. They've also spent time scouting you know, other pit players, so obviously they're there watching his games, or maybe they are there to see him. Also, they talked to him at the combine, and there was talk about him, you know, potentially being a, dra- a pre-draft invite. A nine point six two RAS score for a player like him was surprising to me, and I just look at this and say four four speed, but agility drills that don't match that tape. Is he is he more of a north south runner, or do you think he has the ability to be a potential down the road three down back? Um, you know, I'll put it to you this way: the the guy that I have, you're going to like this because we just talked. We just it flows into our subject matter pretty quickly. Um, the high end aspirational player is Josh Jacobs. If he can get better as a receiver. I don't think, you know, from when I think about him as a receiver, um, you know, he is, he uses the technique that he needs to, he can catch the ball and and take a hit. There's nothing really bad there. It's about the route running that, that needs to get a little bit better identifying coverage, things that young players need to do. But as a, as a running back, um, he doesn't have great reacceleration after he stops his feet to avoid contact. Um, you know, I think if he can develop that in some level or he can be a little bit more ferocious with his attack, he'll be a compelling lead back at some point. But, you know, the explosion we know is there. He can break tackles. Um, but I would say he's he's a player that is a better zone runner than gap runner right now. It's only a tweak or two that can change that. Mm-hmm. But um, the player that he reminds me of or that he's like, a starter kit for right now is Damian Harris. So if you have Damian Harris, my comp says Josh Jacobs, highest end of everything works out terrifically and he exceeds expectation. Damian Harris is the guy that if he can improve a couple of things, he's going to be like Damian Harris. 
and where he is right now is just below that. So, you know, if you want, if you want redundancy, you're going to get that with <laughs> Abinaconda. You know, he's just going to be a, a better athlete, but it's got to show up in terms of, you know, how he processes the game. And then real quick, there's two players everyone's polarized on. Honest assessment as quickly as you can. Why is Zach Charbonnet out of uh, UCLA such a polarizing prospect? And how much of a long shot is Deuce Vaughn? Because I watched a lot of K-State football for some reason this year. And it just seemed like he was making electric plays, and yet it it just doesn't seem with his size. And just the, the way he tested athletically, he has much for the NFL. Well, you know, Charbonnet, I'm not sure why he's polarizing. Um, you know, to me, he's an explosive rugged back. He's He can catch, he can block. He's a pretty darn good blocker at this stage of his career. Uh, maybe it's because, you know, so many fantasy people, so many people are playing fantasy football, and they adopt the fantasy football analyst mindset of faster the better, slower the worst, rather than thinking that there's a threshold for what is fast enough to be a starter in the league. Four, five, three, 40 speed is fast enough to be in the league. 37 inch vertical, explosive enough. Maybe it's because he didn't have huge production at Michigan. You know, maybe that was it. He was behind some folks and I don't know what it is to me. He's a, He's a he's a competent guy who will be at least a high end reserve who will get a lot of playing time, like Alexander Madison did, you know, behind Dalvin Cook, who you could come in and knew that he was going to do a good job, um, or you know, if everything just he's never going to be Arian Foster, but there's a lot of skills that have influence, a lot of style to his game that has influence with Arian Foster, who was a slower back, a four seven six forty back with the, uh, incredible quickness and great feet and ran with power. And Charbonnet has a lot of those skills. It's just maybe not to the degree that Foster did. Still, I mean, I don't get it. As far as um, Vaughn, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fan of Vaughn. If Vaughn were bigger, if Vaughn were bigger, he would be a top five back in this class. He's one of the best running backs in, skill, in terms of skills that's in this class. He's, a, he's an excellent receiver, too. Problem is, is that when you start looking at things that have weighted value and how I evaluate, and I think that I would honestly say that teams should evaluate, is that power and contact balance and blocking all require you to win against defenders of at in the box. And when you and part of the way I grade is, can you win against contact against box defenders? And if the answer is overwhelmingly no, or only in an <laughs> exceptional circumstance, you're not going to reach. You're, you just don't have the height to ride the ride or the size to ride the ride. It's, and, you know, he can be a specialty player and he can be helpful in certain regards, but how many quarterbacks really feel good about trying to find a five foot five guy who runs great routes and is a good receiver, but they're not going to feel like he's a big enough target. They're going to be competent enough to hit him as good as they are uh, or see him. That's an amazing point. I didn't even think of that. Chris, who's the uh, fired Jaguars head coach? Gus Bradley? No, uh, the one from Ohio State. Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer. Oh. That's all Deuce Vaughn needs is an Urban Meyer to go, you know what, I'm going to draft this wide receiver. I'm going to draft this running back, and he's immediately a wide receiver. That's what Well, we're that would there. be true, but he. But I don't think Deuce Vaughn made Tom Lemming's list. So, no. we all, you know. He drafted straight from Tom Lemming's list of like, you know, as if he was recruiting high school players into college as opposed to looking at them from college. And look where you he know, is now. Now, 
as far as your scouting philosophy and your procedure, everyone can learn more about it over at the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find it and what you have new for 2023? Well, sure. The, you can find the Rookie Scouting Portfolio at mattwaldman.com if you want to buy it directly. You get a pre-draft and a post-draft publication. Pre-draft publication is a bookmark PDF that you can look for everything you want to do that just takes you through my process. And my process is one where it's made the RSP in its 18th year one of the two most purchased independent scouting guides by NFL scouts and personnel people, according to guys like Alex Brown, who is the head of recruiting for SMU, has worked with Tom Herman as a recruiter at at um, Houston, and then was the head of recruiting at Rice. He meets with these guys all every day, every week, and knows what they're buying, what they're looking at, what they read, who they, they look at. So you get that, plus I've been a fantasy writer for 20 years. So I, I give you real football that fantasy people know I'm going to also kind of gear towards that. Matt Waldman, Rookie Scouting Portfolio. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Waldman. Here's the thing. I'll close the show with this. When you look at the running back position, it is one of the hardest to be right at. And when you, when you try to quantify that, right? So I was looking online. I'm trying to figure out how just kind of how we, whether or not running back, because this conversation of whether it's a smart investment or not. Running back, defensive tackle, defensive end. Two positions that I think fans and GMs all set unreasonable expectations for. Ed Oliver was supposed to be baby Aaron Donald. There are defensive ends out there who are... I don't know, you, Chris, how many defensive ends have you seen drafted who failed? There's a lot of them. Or at least not failed, but you drafted them in the first round, and then they got outplayed by a guy in the second or third. I was going to say AJ. Well, I was going to say you drafted a guy in the second who might as well be... Uh, but what was his projection that year? Oh, my God. They were like, oh, no, he's Cam Hayward 2.0. Great. Wonderful. And then there's running back. Remember Bishop Sankey? Heard of him. There was a year he was the first running back off the board. Unless you're an old head, you don't even know who the fuck that guy is. So some guys over at Bleacher Report quantified it, right? They they, they took it over a 25-year sample and said, how many all-pro players were drafted in the first round out of every position category? Defensive end, defensive tackle, wide receiver, quarterback, what? Obviously, quarterback is the lowest at 5%, right? Because it's hard to find an all-pro quarterback. And all-pro is usually you're good. If you find one, that guy stays all-pro caliber for a long time. So you probably only have a handful of those guys in the league anyway. Running back has produced one lower than defensive tackle, lower than defensive end. All-pro running backs taken in the first round. It happens less frequently than that. And Bruce Nolan, I cribbed it from him, he had a tweet about this idea that Saquon Barkley is what happens when you have this sunk cost fallacy. He tweeted it, and it's it, it's I've literally been, I woke up at 3 a.m. to try to wrangle my kid back to sleep, and it, I was still thinking about it. Chris, if you draft a running back in the top 15 of a draft... You as a GM have already said, I believe that this player 
is a game-changing generational talent, correct? Yeah. You then almost feel sort of obligated to do what the Giants are doing, right? Like, they cashed in on the fifth-year option. That's a good thing, right? First-round running backs have this caveat. I get a first-year option on this, which means I get a... The player can't disagree. The player doesn't have any... uh, He doesn't have any uh, say in this. I get him for a fifth year instead of the standard rookie four. Yes, it's a it's a pay increase, but it's not a long term commitment to that pay increase. So realistically, any running back taken, I mean, when Kansas City traded up and took took Clyde Edwards Hilaire at the back end of the first round a few years ago, Brett Coleman threw a fit. You know, Brett Coleman from the top of the show talking about running backs threw a fit about how it was over. Kansas City just won the NFL with this trade, blah, 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 blah. The pick didn't pan out. But the idea is, it's a good idea if you want that fifth cost-controlled year. The problem is when you go too far with that, and you say, this running back is worth a top 20 pick, a top 15 pick, a top whatever pick, it's running back. It's a position that's already devalued, and you just boosted its value artificially. Now you as a GM go into the next cycle of that contract going, I have to continue valuing that thing if this guy does produce the value that I thought he had in the first place. You you bought high, and now you have to continue to buy high. And that's how the Giants find themselves in this weird scenario where they had to franchise tag Saquon Barkley. The, that's That's how they got there. So Bruce's point was, don't do that, <laughs> because now you already feel like you use such a premium pick on him. It's sunk costs. Like, you could just say, well, we already invested this, so we better keep investing. That's not the way you should treat this running back position. No team in the NFL does that, or at least not any of the successful ones. So with that in mind, where these guys go is going to be incredibly interesting. And just where Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs, where they impact the draft you know where they fall who decides to move up because like i've heard that the eagles could draft the eagles could draft Bijan robinson great first of all keep him out of the afc but also just howie roseman like i guess you could do that but now you're staking a first round value on a running back i is you don't have any other needs that's it that's the, you're the you're that one thing away from a super bowl That's crazy to me, but sure, you do what you want. I just don't want it for the Bills. And also, I don't know that they would because, Chris, you look at it, look what just happened to Tremaine Edmonds. You want to talk about sunk costs in the first round? Not only does our GM undervalue the running back position to where he's willing to play it cheap, he traded up to draft a linebacker. And then when that linebacker played like a player that you draft up, uh, that you trade up into the 20s of the draft to pick, He turned into a star linebacker. He took a step back and said, you know what? Not me. No, you in fact, if anything, salary cap constraints, other needs, it is sunk cost. And I'm going to I'm willing to walk away from that sunk cost for the handful of years you gave me rather than continue putting good money after bad or not even good money after bad, but just good money after money that I don't want to spend here. I just feel like with those dynamics combined, I can't see a world where they make any kind of a strong move for an early running back, right? Yeah. Is there any running back, like Tank Bigsby out of Auburn or anyone else, is there is there a running back at all that you give a damn about, Chris? 
No, because if they were to draft a running back, I'm going to assume that they're drafting a special team ace running back. So you're, oh, so you're talking about a running back that can be like a returner? No, no, like um, who's the running back that we just had that wasn't a running back? He just was on. <laughs> <Tyler Jones>. Yeah. <laughs> I think if we draft a running back, we draft that uh, that running back. That is funny. No, Deuce Vaughn. Deuce Vaughn was the one that, like, all college season, I'm like, God, this watching this guy play is so much fun. I'd love this. And then I saw, like, the combine. I go, wait a minute. He's only 5'8"? That's like, he he's like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew, except, like, 30 pounds lighter? Yeah. <laughs> uh, guys, short running backs do matter. Just not here and hopefully not to the Buffalo Bills. It's going to be interesting to see how the draft plays out. I'm I'm happy that we got a chance to pick Matt Waldman's brain about it. Guys, go check out the rookie scouting portfolio. He's not kidding about the fantasy stuff. I mean, it has it keeps me in the fantasy playoffs year after year after year. Not because he tells you who to draft, but because it's, hey, here's names to watch. So if someone's dumb enough to dump him on waivers, you get that guy. If this guy's dumb enough to, or if he's out there in the late rounds, or if here's guys that you can get on dynasty leagues, you pick them up as rookies in the late rounds. And in two years, he'll be the guy winning your league. Have to check it out. Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio. Always fun, but we got to get the hell out of here, Chris. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Matt Waldman. And this has been your Rock Pile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.